Welcome to the All Things Protest podcast. I'm Rob Sneckenberg. I'm joined today by my co-host, Olivia Lynch, and guest, Amy O'Sullivan. Among other things, Olivia and Amy counsel clients on small business and merger and acquisition issues. So they're perfect to discuss our topic today, a recent Court of Federal Claims decision about whether and when companies must recertify their size status during an ongoing procurement. Olivia, before we dive into the case, can you provide some background for our listeners on the requirements for certifying size status? Sure. So SBA's regulations at 13 CFR 121-404 govern when the size status of a business concern is determined for a particular procurement. That regulation has been updated over the years, and there was a recent update in November 2020 to language about when recertifications must be made after an acquisition or a transaction or innovation occurs. But the general lay of the land is that when size is determined is governed by 13 CFR 121-404, and whether an entity has made an accurate size representation as to a particular procurement is a question that's taken to the Small Business Administration to be heard first by an area office, and then if there's an appeal by SBA's Office of Hearings and Appeals, which interprets and applies 13 CFR 121-404 in determining when, if at all, an entity had to recertify with respect to a particular procurement. So we have a recent decision out of the Court of Federal Claims, HWI Gear Inc. v. United States, and they mentioned a couple of different SBA hearings and appeals, as you just referenced, but they looked to the FAR and ultimately found that there was a problem with the size certification in that case. Amy, can you just kind of talk to us a little bit about what happened in that case with regard to the certification? Sure. It's a little bit complicated, and I first want to discuss what the case is not about. There were multiple sort of parallel litigations occurring in this particular procurement at the same time. There was a pre-award protest. There was a size protest filed following award, as it did involve 100% small business set aside. That size protest addressed the question of the size status and eligibility of the awardee. Now, that original size protest decision was appealed to the SBA's Office of Hearings and Appeals, ultimately finding the awardee eligible based on the certification at the time of initial proposal submission. Now, the Court of Federal Claims decision is not a size protest. It is a bid protest. It is a post-award protest acknowledging the parallel SBA proceedings and explicitly stating that the decision is not determining the awardee size status. So what the case ultimately focuses on is all about FAR 52.219.28, and specifically, not the status of the awardee, but the timing and the obligations that the awardee had to give a size recertification during the time period between initial proposal submission and award, And in connection with that, what information the agency was obligated to consider. Way that the decision focuses on is all about an interesting question of somehow reaching a different conclusion in terms of application of a FAR clause, depending on whether the clause is incorporated by reference 
or incorporated in full into the solicitation, which in and of itself seemed an unusual ultimate conclusion to reach in that case. But here in the procurement at issue, the agency had incorporated the text in full, which I have to say happens quite frequently. And in fact, the FAR requires agencies to include this specific clause in solicitations as well as in contracts. But the FAR clause itself is entitled Post-Award Small Business Program Representation. But the court here reached an interesting conclusion that by including the full text of the clause, that somehow could lead to the interpretation that there was now a new recertification requirement somehow imposed on an offeror associated with transactional developments that could occur between proposal submission and award of the contract that somehow would not have arisen if the agency had merely referenced or incorporated by reference that exact same FAR clause. An odd result, but one that's certainly going to raise a number of questions. Thanks, Amy. And looking through the facts of the case, it looks like the originally small offeror during the procurement went through a corporate change that may have resulted in it being other than small And it looked like it notified the agency about the corporate change, but might not have raised this specific issue. Did that factor into the decision at all or the court's analysis? So it was certainly a trigger in a number of respects. And I think this comes down to questions of what the awardee was attempting to notify on, which could have related to more than one issue. It could have been simply raising the fact that changes had occurred. And a separate question is whether it believed that it had to recertify on its size in the first place. So this notice, in fact, did not address size. It referenced the fact that there had been a change, a change in sort of the corporate structure, but making no statements either way that the size of the company had somehow been altered as a result of that transaction. So By giving this sort of odd notice, the court essentially said, well, agency, you got this notice. You should have somehow questioned whether there had been an impact from the corporate change that impacted the awardee's size status at that time. So Amy, have you seen other cases with a fact pattern like this, or I guess more importantly, with a result like this, where due to a pre-award merger, there was a requirement for a pre-award recertification of status? I have not seen a case addressing this specific circumstance. Now, offers often go through this timing question and what triggers notification requirements to agencies associated with transactions in general. But the question of impacts on size status are a very different issue. And as Olivia had noted already, these are status issues and certification obligations that have typically considered through SBA and under the purview of the SBA regulations. This is an area where we've seen regulatory changes triggering now on a going forward basis, potentially new circumstances and impacts as a result of the recent regulations and additions on those obligations to submit the certifications 
before award, but more importantly, the impact of those and eligibility. So it's an intersection, I believe, of what is an SBA obligation and sort of what falls within typical bid protest considerations. So I'm feeling while this decision sits out there right now, that it's simply going to generate a lot of confusion. No, certainly. And Olivia, is there anything we can tell from the decision, say, about has SBA chimed in here or or anything you're aware of of a position from them on this case? So unlike the protests that are litigated before GAO, where when small business issues arise, the GAO attorney will oftentimes ask for SBA's input as to how to interpret the SBA regulations, for example, if those are at issue in the case. That wouldn't really be something that would be done here that SBA would separately from the Department of Justice representing DLA in this case. Yes, they wouldn't be opining. And based on the decision, it does not seem like SBA put forward any kind of statement in this case. Although obviously DOJ briefed all of the issues relevant, including the application of SBA regulations. At the same time, as Amy mentioned, the question of the awardee size status was taken through the size protest process. The size determination was issued. OHA overturned it and sent it back for remand. As of January 2021, OHA denied the awardee's petition for reconsideration of that remand. And so we're still waiting to see what the SBA area office does, both as to the substantive question of the application of the non-manufacturer rule and whether that renders the awardee other than small as of the date it submitted its initial proposal. But separately, how the Costi decision that the entity was ineligible because it had not recertified in accordance with R52219-28 is going to impact SBA's review of the size status of the awardee. So, Amy, where does that leave us? And most importantly, you know, small businesses now who are participating in ongoing procurements or considering mergers and acquisitions, where does it leave them or, or what guidance could you provide for now? This is going to create a scenario of uncertainty on contemplated as well as pending transactions, specifically going to circumstances in which the target entity had already submitted a proposal in connection with the small business set aside. And depending on the timing of the transaction, this could have an impact that goes to a significant issue. Post-transaction, is that entity still eligible for an award that it was perfectly eligible for before the transaction? So this goes to valuation and can be a significant consideration in the M&A space right now. So I think we need to be looking to how these matters are going to be resolved and also see whether there's the possibility that SBA could weigh in in a circumstance like this. We not only have new regulations that have attempted to give more predictability on impact of these transactions with timing demarcations on the delay between when a proposal is submitted and when a transaction occurs. But that still is something that's completely different from the way that the court addressed this decision without even the consideration of that impact. And we're all well aware of how long 
procurements can be dragged out. This one at issue in HWI, the proposal was submitted back in August of 2018. The transaction at issue occurred in July of 2019, and we're dealing with award determinations that were made well through 2020. So you can see the duration and the length of time that can pass between proposal submission and award. Yeah, and certainly on that last point, Amy, I mean, with that duration and with the uncertainty, it's probably going to lead to a number of questions going forward. But we will keep our listeners updated on the podcast, on our blog as well, about developments in these cases and if there's further clarity given. So stay tuned for more on these issues. And until then, as always, thanks for listening. The All Things Protest podcast is brought to you by Kroll & Mooring LLP. You can find more information at kroll.com slash allthingsprotest.